0: Love, talk radio. Hey, welcome to Let's Talk Tribe. This is your host, Jason Lukart. It's uh, Thursday night. The Indians, I thought they'd be done by now. The game's running long. They're in the ninth inning. Chris Perez is making things interesting. Uh, but hopefully in the next pitch or two, I'll be able to report a win, which, of course, you'll already know about before you hear this. Um, anyway... Um, It's been a good week for the Indians since last we talked. Last week I talked to Ryan, who was uh, going to the game, the the series opener against Houston, and the Indians went on to sweep the Astros in four games and then won a couple games against the White Sox. So they've won six in a row. Uh, A couple things about the White Sox series, finishing their season series against the White Sox with 14 straight wins, which is the Indians' third longest winning streak against any team in franchise history the record being 17 in a row against the uh 54 orioles and they went 17 and 2 against the white Sox this year which is their most wins against any team since the expansion era started in 1961 which is of course significant because they don't play teams as often as they did anymore so one of the most dominant performances they've ever had against any team um and a nice way to keep this part of the season going. Chris Prez just gave up a home run, which is tremendous. Um, I love him. The lead is now down to one. And I don't know if I can handle doing the podcast and checking on the game because I'm going to lose it if he goes on to blow this. So I'll report back to you after I talk with this week's guest, um, who is a writer for ESPN. And uh, one heck of a guy, my guest this week is Dan Zimborski. Dan, how you doing?
1: Pretty good. I just watched uh, out. Profar profile hit a home run. <laughs>
0: That's I'm, I'm more good exactly news, but, Super excited to hear that. A, not a good swing in the last two minutes. Um. Well, let's let's go right there then. Let's go right to the AL wild card race, which is for Indian fans the uh, the only topic that really matters right now. Um. So one of the things I know a lot of fans, at least those who are more. Uh, statistically inclined like to do is wake up in the morning and look at various projections of which team's going to finish where. Um, and maybe what you're most known for uh, is zips, the projection system you came up with. Um, what, what does it look like for the Indians uh, pending tonight's results? Uh, well, I had them at 70 something
1: percentage uh, odds for get one of the wild cards coming into the game tonight. Uh, so, So long as the Twins don't complete this this comeback that's going on, uh, it'll probably go a little bit higher because status quo and everything. It's better to have the
0: one-game lead on the Rangers than, you know, not having it. Right. It's been pretty – I mean, you know, we'll see what happens tonight. But uh, the Indians have won six in a row, which is the best you could hope for in the last week. And uh, Tampa's matched them. I think I guess Tampa's now won seven in a row because they won tonight. uh, And the Rangers after – you know, a pretty miserable stretch a week ago. They've won. I think if they win tonight four in a row, it's pretty impressive to have. You know, there's some complaints that the second wild card was letting a weaker, weaker teams in contention, but uh, they're all playing really strong baseball here now. Um, the thing is, I'm oh, sorry, it,
1: I, I, I would no, prefer not to have a wild card team. But if you have a wild card team, I like to have two more than one because then at least you're giving a significant disadvantage to a team that makes in the wild card because the wild right. card versus winning the division, I mean, the odds are just half,
0: essentially. Sure. Yeah. I, I, that's kind of how I feel too. I mean, I've, I've had plenty of time to get used to the wild card. Um, and it's been around for the majority of the time I've been a baseball fan. Um, but yeah, I, I initially was sort of, on the fence about the second one, but for the same reason, I think I like, it. I've said a couple of times with different guests on the podcast. I don't think there's enough uh, recognition given for regular season success. I think American sports, you know, we love playoffs and I understand why we love playoffs. Um, but you know, the, the, the team that's fantastic over the six month season tends to get immediately forgotten if they don't also win the, the, the post season championship, um, so I think I'm with you on that. I think a division winner getting an advantage uh, is a good thing.
1: I mean, I would. I, would I wonder, all, you're.
0: In, sorry, you're, I would put them you're, all in one big division,
1: but I don't think. I think the the train on that has has moved on past the station.
0: It's it's not going to happen right. ever again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, there's. I've seen, you know, some people who want, uh, you know, add a couple more teams and go to two eight division, 18 divisions in each league or something like that uh, But with 30 teams. I think this is going to be what it's going to be for a while. Um, well, yeah, give us a little I, I background like how and when say that again.
1: Uh, I don't like the people that want, you know, everybody in one division takes the top eight or something. I, I really, really hate that idea because you, you pretty much eliminate any meaningful contest between two excellent teams.
0: Right. Um, Can you give us a little background yourself? Uh, You know, tell me how and and when you first became a baseball fan.
1: Uh, Well, I'm I'm from Baltimore, uh, and I love baseball as a child. And I I love numbers, too. um, And eventually it became kind of unlikely that I was going to grow up to become a baseball player. Uh, (laughs) So I I like to argue baseball and write about baseball. And uh, and when I was a kid, I loved uh, reading early Bill James and – and Peter Gammons, they were uh, the two guys I most followed first as a as an avid baseball fan, and and I've just always loved it. Uh, in the '90s, I got involved in the you know the early days of the internet. There was a forum called Usenet. I don't know how familiar uh-huh. you, you are with Usenet, uh, and that's kind of where a lot of the sabermetric guys you see around today, a lot of them got their start there. Uh, Keith Carl, Christina Carl, uh, Sean Foreman. Uh, Voris in, uh and so that's how I got into it.
0: So, then as an Orioles fan, uh, to sidetrack you and bring it back to this season, um, what's the last week been like for that part of your baseball fandom?
1: Oh, uh, this week. This week has kind of stunk as they, as they lost every game that they could <laughs> until after they were eliminated, uh, but it's still not as heart wrenching as 1989 was. Uh, when they when they blew that lead to Toronto in August and then went into that final weekend. Uh, the races that they lose when you're a kid will always kill you more than as an adult.
0: Sure. Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, I was a teenager when the Indians lost their two World Series uh, and didn't take either of them particularly well. Uh, I, would, I would like to think I would take it better, and uh, I guess I hope I get the chance to find... Well, I guess I don't want to find out what happens if they lose, but... <laughs> Um, do you, are, the Orioles, let's go back to 2012, because I think for me, uh, you know, the Indians this year, uh, I think they're overperforming expectations, but I think, you know, most people uh, in projections and things like that saw them as about a 500 team, maybe a little better than that. And so to win 90 games is, you know, sort of the upper end of what you might have reasonably expected, um, but not wildly out. Whereas I feel like last year's Orioles were, in terms of wins and losses, a huge surprise and overperformer. Uh, was that for you? Is it a huge surprise or? It, it's not
1: the most gigantic surprise. The Orioles last year were a bigger surprise, and I was kind of always in that awkward position where I have to kind of have that, you know, that professional detachment where I'm cynical and and suspicious of of, of wild improvements and stuff. Uh, but but I did have Cleveland around 500, but with a chance. Uh, I did list them on my uh, my team prop bets piece I did last this March. Uh, so I, I I did take take the Indians for 100 bucks at a at 30 to one to win the AL pennant, 66 to one to win the World Series. So so I'm not going to personally be all that upset if the Indians win the World
0: Series. <laughs> Well, does that mean with the Orioles out, we can count on your support the rest of the way?
1: Yeah, I, I, you can't beat a vested financial interest. Um, it's not <laughs> alarming overpay. They always had that potential. They just they just needed some things to work out, I don't, and more of those things have worked out than not. Uh, they, right. They got Jimenez an actual good season from him. Uh, yeah, I mean they actually got he, 150 innings from Casimir. I mean, what are the odds of that happening?
0: Yeah. Uh, so. I mean, for me, the pitching, the uh, 2012 Indians were one of the worst starting rotations legitimately in baseball history. Um, you know, I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but I remember writing about it after the season ended, and it was just brutal. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, if you, I, I really – you couldn't have convinced me the numbers they've gotten from the guys you just mentioned. Um you know, Salazar has come up and pitched really well. Uh, maybe the the biggest surprise I can remember as an Indians fan is, is the performance of the the rotation this year. And uh, it's not an
1: amazing rotation, but it's good enough to get the job done. Uh.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. That's it. It's, it's a decent rotation and the jump between where they were last year and decent uh, is massive. And really since the all-star break, they have been a very good rotation. Uh, I mean, I think, Obaldo Jimenez has been maybe the best pitcher in the American League, depending on which metrics you prefer, Um, which no one in Cleveland – well, I won't say no one. We've we've got one loyal reader who is adamant that Obaldo was going to turn it back around and was routinely ridiculed for it, Um, and he gets the gloat now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the pitching's really carried on. The offense has struggled in the second half for most of the time until this last week. Um, Yeah, it's really been the pitching – um, without getting into specific numbers, because I don't want to get us too bogged down in that, but uh, are there, uh, and I don't know that you know, you know, individual players' projections off the top of your head or anything, but are there Indians who you mentioned Jimenez and Casimir, um, anyone else who's been a big surprise for better or for worse compared to where you and Zips saw them?
1: Well, well, some of the surprise has been in almost attendance. They've gotten a full season from. Well, essentially a full season from Casimir. Uh, Jimenez, I've been amply aware of his ERA all season because I took a bet for the over on ERA for him. So I've been watching it go down and down and down. And the money come out of my wallet. uh, So I've been amply (laughs) – I've been very aware of that fact. Uh, But really they they got – they stopped the bleeding. It's not a rotation that you go into every game and thinking you're going to get some sort of four-inning – six runs a loud start and then have another loss. Right. Um, and just, just reaching that level of just respectability has been enough to get the Indians into the race.
0: Yeah. And they, they, they did for, for anyone who's for somehow listening to this, not knowing what happened, the Indians did manage to hold on and win. Uh, so they, they're still a game back of Tampa and a game up on Texas. Um, and Dan, as you said, so that'll make, uh, Tampa and Cleveland's, you know, figures then go up, right? Because the status quo is, yeah, is good if you're holding... any
1: tie favors them, essentially. Uh, right. And this is kind of... Uh, I got a lot of negative email and from uh, Royals fans a couple of weeks ago because I was trying to explain why the Royals' odds were so long. And one of the reasons was, as long as Cleveland was within earshot of, of the, the, of the wild card, um, uh, the, the very favorable schedule really had a lot of play for them. Uh, so you, right. Once you, if you could knock Cleveland out, you had a problem.
0: Right. Well, okay. As someone who I think, you know, you must know baseball numbers pretty well. Um, and as an Orioles fan, there's been a lot of talk this week about the schedule. Uh, and I know as an Indians fan, um, I felt sort of defensive about the Indian schedule in part, I think because people are looking at who they're playing this month and sort of talking as, as if their schedule has been that easy all year when, you know, they, they obviously had to play good teams. They just happened to have them all padded early in the season. Uh, but that said, the AL East is that, you know, is the best division in the American league. And so that does mean teams like the Orioles are playing more games against better teams over the course of the season. Do you think that's, uh, a problem, or what What size problem do you think that is for, for fairness in baseball? When you have a wild
1: card involved, I don't see the argument for an unbalanced schedule. Uh, if it was just the divisions, um, I, I would like a more balanced schedule. Uh, I would like to, just as a fan, I like to see more, I like to see a more variety of matchups.
0: Uh, I do of too. Vacation. Do you think... The main, I mean, I, I think the attendance figures would tell us that the average fan doesn't. The average fan, you know, likes seeing the Yankees come to town, likes seeing the Red Sox come to town. Um, I'm intrigued for teams like Baltimore and Tampa Bay. Um, if you could get ownership to be really honest, what they'd tell you they prefer in terms of is, you know, are the extra ticket sales enough for to justify the dent they may be putting your record? Um, and you know, I don't know. I I, I have no idea
1: how to say that again. And what benefits them are completely different things. So I just know what I like. And if it has to coincide with with profitability, then,
0: then so be it. Yeah. Well, I think in terms of fairness, I, I mean, I think it's, it's almost inarguable that a balanced schedule would be the most fair thing. Um, but I also feel now, especially with the two wild cards now, that while it's not as fair because you're competing against teams, you've also still got a pretty reasonable shot or a more reasonable than you used to um, of still finding your way. In. And I think I just feel like on the list of inequities in baseball, the unbalanced schedule uh, is significantly lower than, you know, revenue discrepancies and, and things like that. I, to me, Tampa Bay's in a in a tougher position because of, money than they are because of the schedule, but again, I'm an Indian fan, and I'm sure I'm somewhat biased at the moment, and am happy that the Indians have the schedule they have, and the finish they have, but they did have to get through, I mean, they, you know, late May, early June, I think they played 28 straight games against winning teams, and you know, Ken Rosenthal had a column this week, and a couple other people talking about it, and as if they've just been playing the Astros, and White Sox, and Twins all season,
1: yeah, uh, it's, but I, I don't around. have the exact numbers in front of me, but if you look at the st- strength of schedule, I mean, the Orioles' average opponent was like a 5'10 team, and the Indians, I think, was a 4'90 team or something. It's it's not right. a, as big a discrepancy, and there's kind of a mitigating factor that if you're in a stronger division, you probably have stronger, more popular teams that bring in more revenue when they're in your right. fans in your park. Uh Orioles may not like having to compete with the Red Sox, but I think the Red Sox coming to town, bringing a lot more revenue
0: for the team than the twins coming. Yeah. To
1: town. So town. So there's a mitigating factor there. It's, it's, it's not that big a deal at all.
0: Yeah. I think that's how I feel. And, and I think, you know, they were talking about, Oh, you know, the Yankees have a tougher schedule. That was the, the initial comparison that I know set a lot of Indians fans off was, Oh, well, you know, the Indians have a much easier schedule than the Yankees. And it's like, that's a non-starter. I, I'm, refuse to listen to anyone complain about the the poor plight of the Yankees. Well, if
1: the Royals uh, were a worse team this year, there might be more of a case then. Uh, but the Indians have to play a lot of games against the, the Tigers and the Royals and their respectability. Uh.
0: Right. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's only four games, but their, their interleague rival, the, you know, the, the Indians' rival is the Reds. So they, You know, that was a good team. They were playing four times. It's not like they were... But, again, I mean, it's it's only four games. I don't think any of it makes a massive difference. I just don't think it's worth the complaining that it's gotten from some people this week. Um, I want to come back to Zips. At this point late in the season, I know – I mean, I think even fans who don't understand, you know, probability and things like that can grasp pretty well why the Indians would be in pretty good shape. Um, but what, what all factors go into uh, specifically like the, the, the playoff chances, you know, the projected standings um, in terms of strength of schedule or remaining opponents, or um, can you kind of, you know, give us give a, an explanation of what factors go into it? Sure. Um, Zips does a lot of player projections. And when you have a lot of player, player
1: projections and a wide distribution of like results, you have a, pretty good idea of the range of quality of every team. Uh, You also know what the actual schedule is, and when you get to the last few weeks of the season, you know who the starting pictures are, so that adds a thing. Uh, I use what's called a Monte Carlo simulation. Uh, It's a series of algorithms. uh, To put it to a layman's term, it's just really a way to test a whole bunch of probabilities without having to do a whole lot of work with it. Uh, I mean, if if you didn't know that a coin flip was 50%, a very simple Monte Carlo simulation would just be running it a million times. Uh, And it's the same thing when you have a lot of probabilities, just throw them all essentially in the bucket, see what comes out when you randomize things, uh, and then you can get uh, estimated odds from that.
0: So the team wins and losses are an eventual output of player projection inputs. Yeah, well you
1: well remember teams are really just a combination of the players. So if you have sure. yeah, all the players and they're expected on base percentage and the slugging percentage and the ERA, you can pretty much guess what the team's strength is. Uh you can say that the Indians are maybe a five fifty team, maybe a five thirty team, maybe a five seventy team. Uh and you have essentially a series of probabilities, kind of a distribution. Like a right. little 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 pretty bell curve. Not quite that neat, but the same kind of concept. Um And if you have a team that you think is a 540 team and they're playing a 520 team, uh, you can pretty much guess with the odds ratio. That's another little statistical tool. What, what the expected odds of that game would be. Uh, It's really just sending it over a million times every game uh, and getting just estimated odds. And you can never get, you never know what the true answer is. They never play the real season a million times. Uh, So you never know if you were right because you were smart. Or if you're right, because you got lucky, you never. One of those
0: things you just have to live with. Right. And do the, the player inputs, are they constantly changing because of a player's production? Or is it sort of, I don't know, before the season you have player projections and then you update that? I, I mean, how how often do the player projections change based on results? Um, in in oh, other uh, words, I mean, certainly Scott Casmir and Abaldo Menez they're still not being projected based on what they were being projected for in March. I wouldn't think
1: I uh, know player, player projections are updated daily. Uh, it's funny. I actually use fan to get my player projections since they have it all set up neatly for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's so, it funny that way, how it works out. Like I gotta, I gotta look at to see what my projections are. Um, right. But, but, but more seriously, uh, Every game is new information uh, a projection is really kind of like a point in time, an estimate of about the midpoint of what we can expect from a player, but we don't really know this these things so every right. at that, every ending is new information that adds to our understanding and our expectations going forward so So player projections are kind of living and breathing they always move uh if you ever watch uh when there's like a hurricane in in the Caribbean coming towards the United States, you see uh, the little picture of the hurricane and that giant cone of of uncertainty where they don't know where the tracks are going to go. That's what particular right. player is like. That's they're always moving. That little cone of uncertainty is always shifting. It might hit New York. It might curve out to sea. Uh, and so you always got to update. And I think that doing in season projections was one of my better notions.
0: So what, what's your workload with Zips? I mean, like, uh, how much of it is you going in and changing stuff, you know, semi-regularly versus uh, I, I have no idea what the computer systems behind it would be in terms of how much of it's sort of automated to some extent?
1: Well, I mean, a lot of the heavy lifting is automated. Um, and, of course, the daily projections are are completely automated
0: uh, with right. the exception
1: of minor leaguers that... That Fangraphs doesn't have a mechanism right now for minor league translations uh the the in season stuff isn't a lot of work uh, actually, even in the off season, the majority of my actual work for the projections is uh putting together the discs that I do with Diamond Mind every year because I have to rate all the players offensively, and that actually is probably the hardest part
0: right so when when the projections I would think the player projections are the ones you know be- A lot of people use them to, you know, for fantasy baseball drafts and things like that. I would tend to think those are the ones you get the most for better or for worse feedback on. Um, Do you tend to take a lot of grief when a fan base feels aggrieved by how can you have him only?
1: I get so so much hate mail. It's it's very entertaining. I sometimes (laughs) post them on Twitter. I'm, I'm at the stage now. I mean, I've been doing this for, for quite a while, uh, Somehow I've become one of the elder statesmen of sabermetrics when I'm not really that old.
0: Uh, I mean, I'm
1: 35. Um, but but uh, you, you get used to it. You, people always have a complaint. And when you project 2,000 players a year, a lot of them are going to be wrong. And you have right. to go in accepting the fact that a lot of them should be wrong uh, because there's there's so much uncertainty around players that – there's a limit to how often you could be right uh for right. example, if you knew if you knew for a fact that every team going into a season was a five hundred team for a fact, you would never know that, of course, but assume that right. you know, that's an absolute fact, you would still miss uh by eight games with twenty percent of the teams uh that's just mass demands that you'd be wrong a lot, so. If 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 you don't like being wrong and can't deal with it, uh, you want to probably stay out of predicting the future because you're going to be wrong a lot. Um, yeah, PR. Read my stuff. I'm wrong a lot. <laughs>
0: well, I think honesty is the best. You well, know, I, I I think all of this. It's the kind of thing. Um, I, mean, I think fans continue to become. More and more educated, I think there's more outlets putting out good information and explaining things. Um, I think for some of us, it feels like it's it's the, the progress towards that kind of understanding is too slow in terms of fans accepting it. Um, but I don't know. I, I feel like most most fans who care to look at projections at this point, I would think, understand all that. But I guess from the hate mail you get, <laughs> that's pretty good evidence that a oh, lot no. of them do.
1: Trust me, you're, you're very overconfident of the, of <laughs> the average person who, who notices the projections and gets angry, and is going to let Darren Zaborski know how angry he is. Uh, I, I don't know what, what you think the reaction's going to be like. I'm going to get an email, I'm going to like start crying or something and I'm gonna say, I'm going to wait again, I'm sad. You called me a name. Um, th- that's not going to happen, but it is a lot better today. I don't want to go kind of on a you kids today rant, uh, but you go back 15 years, we have to argue with people who thought that Joe Carter was going to be in the Hall of Fame easily. Right. Uh, I once had an argument with a guy who thought Mookie Wilson was a Hall of Famer and Dave Winfield was not. <laughs> and and that, that was the kind of stupidity you had to deal with in the early days of the internet. Uh, there's actually been some – some uh, some forward progress. You can mostly get people to buy on base percentage and slugging percentage. Uh, you may not get all of them to buy wins above replacement, but you've actually probably sold most of the crowd on on the the basic structure of what makes up war and similar some right. of stats. Uh, you're not going to reach like Murray Chass or anything, uh, but but most writers I found are, are pretty open
0: minded and fairly supportive. Well, and I think one of the, I mean, I think a big part of the progress is uh, it's not, it's certainly not strictly generational. I mean, there are very open-minded and aware, you know, older writers or media members, and there are young ones who don't grasp any of this and don't buy into any of it. But I mean, I think the younger you are, the more likely you are to sort of understand some of this stuff, or even if you don't totally understand it, you at least you know, buy into it and believe in the, its legitimacy. And I feel like, as you know, time passes, those groups begin to fill more, uh, more and more of the prominent media spots. I mean, it would be nice if if teams, TV broadcasters, and some of them do. Len Casper, the Cubs guy, um, is someone I know. You know, he does a great job of trying to kind of you know spread awareness, not just and not just awareness, you know, but to, to try to explain things in a way that the average fan can understand um which I think is great but you do still have a lot of guys who you know say is a joke it's uh you know it's but, but the really many as you might think there's kind of a subset of kind of
1: legacy columnists but most are very good uh, I haven't had any kinds of of negative experiences with with writers uh generally speaking um it's I mean yeah part of it is generational and that and that's kind of natural because you know Every generation is going to have their new ideas, and that's kind of the natural way it works. I'm sure uh, if I'm still around and writing in 40 years, I'm going to sound old and and, and crazy. Like, what well, can't kids today use war? You and your fancy biometric stuff. <laughs> if Chelsea Clinton was president, none of this would happen. Um, <laughs> that, um, that that that's kind of to, to be expected. Um, I've always had this theory that once you get a certain age. You kind of hit this kind of crossing the Rubicon where new stuff is is difficult. Uh, like my grandfather, he could understand a CD, but he couldn't understand a DVD. And <laughs> and to me, that's just like what did the same thing. He understood that 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 sound could be on a disc, but not sound and video. Um, <laughs> but
0: it's just the way the it's just the way the world works. I mean, if if everything stayed the same, it's nothing to do like, with anything. But you bring whatever, the CD. I, I'm, I'm a teacher, a grade school teacher, and somehow records came up, like audio records, vinyl records came up uh, last week. And it, I realized that for all the advanced technology, whatever a vinyl record is doing when you're hearing music from it, to me, is far more mind-blowing than whatever a CD is doing. Somehow, you know, the digital stuff, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, computers are reading it. But then I'm trying to figure out how a record is working, and the vinyl record is the technology that totally blows my mind.
1: Yeah, uh, we always had an old turntable, but I never, I never quite understood it. Um, if, if you're a teacher, though, you—I was a terror to grade school teachers. Um, um, so, so you're lucky that you didn't have me as a student. I was always a difficult child.
0: Oh, I've got Seriously, some errors, but. Because my I don't parents, know, the way I was school. raised, For them, I, was, young enough, I, was, I was pretty easy to forgive anything.
1: Uh, the way I was raised, um, I was kind of
0: treated like an adult
1: as a child, and I was never like you know lied to about like you know Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. And I was I was a kid that would all the kids that were about five or six in my elementary school they would learn that Santa Claus didn't exist or the Tooth Fairy <laughs> didn't exist from me, um, which of course teachers and parents were, were very pleased about. They uh, also learned all sorts of things from me, how babies were made, what happens to your body after you die, <laughs> all these things I taught. So so you're very lucky that you didn't have me as a student. As an adult looking back,
0: do, do you think they learned an accurate version of how babies are made? or was oh, it, no, some sort of it was
1: very accurate. I, I knew exactly.
0: <laughs> I don't want to get too blue here, but my my understanding of how babies were made when I was in about fifth grade was, was close but in a couple of key ways wildly inaccurate.
1: I mean we didn't talk about DNA or anything like that.
0: Um uh, but, but I did I did make children cry. <laughs> um well speaking of people crying Going all the way back to the Orioles, uh, you know, you mentioned this season not being as heartbreaking as a couple other ones. I would think as a non-Orioles fan, the hardest part of the season is maybe seeing Dylan Bundy and Manny Machado both go down with season-ending injuries. Um, where does that put your mind at? Oh, they were absolutely rough watching both of them, it's,
1: especially Bundy. I mean, when you knew Machado was going to be okay, it was it was a relief. Uh, but as, as depressing as they are, it doesn't just have that emotional impact it does when you're a kid. Um, As I mean, since, I mean, writing about baseball is my job. So I do have this, you know, I just have this habit because when you're doing something you love also for your job, there also, as I said, there becomes some kind of detachment to some extent. Uh, You're just, I don't know if it's the same for other people, but I, I'm just not as emotionally involved as, as I would have been, 20 years ago. Uh, obviously I love how baseball. That I have... think,
0: hmm? How much of that do you think is, is age versus maybe some sense of professional responsibility? Um, or I don't know what other factors might be in play. I don't know. Do I think don't if think you were, to uh, be that if you were a teacher, uh, you know, whatever, if you didn't get paid to cover baseball, do you think you'd still be less emotionally involved? I'm not sure. I,
1: I need to simulate it about a million times and, and compare. Um, I mean, no. I mean, I live baseball. I mean, I have three three large TVs here in my office. I always have games on on all these screens. Uh, but I don't know. Just for me, when I write about it, it doesn't have the same, you know, living every moment with your team and dying myself. Uh, it's just. Right. It's just not that way for me. So this season isn't as devastating as 1989 was.
0: I was mean, it you, you when you when the Orioles started 0 and 20?
1: Oh, the 0 and 21 season, that was terrible. Uh, um, but they were really, But you see, the thing about that team is they were really good at being bad. Uh, if you're going to be bad, you want to be spectacularly bad. Yep. Because everyone no remembers the 1962 Mets. No one remembers the other Mets teams that decade that just stunk. Because there's something magical oh. about it. Horrible season. Um, I mean, take the Astros – I mean, I was talking about this on Twitter. Take the Astros and the Twins. The Astros this year are a much worse team than the Twins, but the Twins are just so blandly bad. Uh, sure. Houston, I mean, you would be surprised if they lose 12 in a row or something, but Minnesota, I mean, the, the rotation is just full of pictures that strike out four batters a game, and and they accidentally win snoozer games against the White Sox that nobody wants to see. Um, <laughs> The, the twins are just blandly bad. So, so that Orioles team wasn't as bad as some of the later bad Orioles teams, um, right? Like, say the '91 Orioles. Uh, okay. or in those couple seasons after the '89 team, where they kind of dropped back, those are those those weren't those were worse than the '88 Orioles from a psychological standpoint. <laughs>
0: So with the – the test is, you know, the Orioles out of it and, uh, you know, it's your job and all of that. Do you have uh, particular rooting interests remaining at this point or are you just in sort of the hoping for the best baseball you can get no matter, you know, and you don't really care which teams it comes from?
1: Oh Well, well I love any game that's played, uh, I'm probably pulling for the Pirates the most personally. Uh I, I tend yeah. to have some I tend to have some some kind of Pittsburgh uh loving uh because when I was a little kid and the Baltimore Colts left uh to, to Indianapolis, uh since my dad's family was from the Pittsburgh area, I became a Steelers fan. Uh which has of course created kind of this oddball circumstance in which I'm an Orioles fan and a Steelers fan. Uh so I do tend to pull for, for Pittsburgh when Baltimore's no longer in the Knicks for baseball.
0: Well, and I think, I mean, the the, Pir- the Steelers wouldn't fall into this category, but the, the Pirates, I think, at this point are a pretty easy team to get behind, just given what, what's gone on there for the last 20 years. Um, I have to imagine a yeah. lot of people are yeah. going to get behind the Pirates if, once their team's out of it.
1: It's, it's a weird September. Uh, how many times do you think you've heard anybody in Pittsburgh say, Don't worry about the Steelers. We still have the Pirates. (laughs) Just like it's always been. It's it's like you've gone down the wrong timeline. Like, what has happened? (sighs) Why? Why is Chris Gomez a? a, I mean, why is Carlos Gomez an MVP candidate? For some reason, I think Chris (laughs) Gomez was the Detroit Tigers' middle infielder at that time for 15 years. (laughs) Why is he an MVP, candidate? Why is Josh Donaldson one of the best players in baseball? It's it's kind of like you've gone down the wrong timeline,
0: right? <laughs>
1: like a bad <laughs> I, I, I of think... Star Trek. <laughs> you're going to lose okay, I'm a huge
0: Star Wars fan, but I'm way out of my depth in Star Trek. Uh, oh, well, then I well, then I can't make I can't make the jokes for that night. I just no, you can for the you can make it. I'll politely no, nod pol- and some of my listeners I'm I'm sure no, will appreciate see, it. I can't
1: see you politely nodding. I just hear uncomfortable. <laughs> so, and anything that kills radio or podcasts is that
0: awkward silence. Um, yeah, that's about, true. And I'm I'm now, fairly now new to the podcasting with- game. We we I started this three months ago or so and I don't know, I mean I feel like I'm I'm doing Fairly well at it, but there, there are certainly moments in, in certain weeks when I feel like, oh God, this is getting away from me. I gotta, I gotta figure out where I'm going here.
1: Yeah, in media, the awkward silence is always bad. It's not like a like a um, a date movie where an awkward silence ends up in a kiss or or um, <laughs> awkward silence is always bad. Although it can be fun. If you ever go to a a restaurant and you ask for a coke and they say if Pepsi's okay, just say
0: no and say nothing. It is the most awkward silence well, after that. I, when I was in grad school, I worked at a restaurant and I had a couple of people tell me no. We we had Coke and someone said, I want a Pepsi. I'm like, oh, you know, is Coke all right? And no, it's not. I want. There there are people it's out there. Maybe they were all messing with me, but I'm pretty yet. sure they were serious.
1: Now you, you see, that doesn't create that same sense of awkwardness. You just say no and then nothing, <laughs> just let the waiter stand there. I do tip well because I'm deranged and I do these things.
0: But moving on. Well, I can tell you, if you you tip well, a lot can be forgiven because ultimately the tip is about 90% of what the server cares about. So if you're obnoxious but tip 25%, that's better than being an angel and tipping 15%. Your server doesn't care about your good manners. They care about your money.
1: See, I,
0: Take I that raised, advice, like, listeners. Tip well. Yeah, tipping. I was I was in Iowa last weekend. Uh, see some extended family. And I think again, part of it's generational. I think part of it, I I do think tipping's a little different in more rural areas. I think they're a little the curve on the the increase in tipping over the years is is a bit slower there. Um, and I find myself sort of like. I don't know, I get almost like nervous when I see one of my older extended family members like picking up the check because I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to tip like 14% or something like that, and and I'm going to feel terrible about it. I also feel like I can't like grab the book and be like, oh, I'm going to put an extra $10 in here and horribly offend my uncle or something like that. I'm damned if I do and damned if I don't. Well, Dan, thank you for joining me. Um, I would love to have you back on the show in maybe March once the uh, projections for next year are out so I can yell at you for a horribly or underselling Jan Gomes and Jason Kipnis. Well, see, see, here's the
1: thing. One of the nice things about having projections expressed as a range of probabilities is that you always have plausible deniability when <laughs> when something goes wrong. You can say, what did he hit 30? You projected him to hit 15. And you say, well, no. I did say there was a 3% chance and (laughs) things that happen 3% of
0: the time do happen. I think 3% of the time. You should just let people convince, believe that Zips is like a computer from an eighties movie. Um, Like the, what was it? The computer who wore tennis shoes or something like that. Um, (laughs) Uh, And that you're just kind of like the liaison.
1: I say like, I, I don't have any control over this. It's, it was in my house when I moved here.
0: Uh, I
1: don't know. It was a mysterious old man who lived in a bookshop gave it to me. And then, <laughs> and then me and the software were flying through the air, and, it, and then they just, just, just trust the projections. Don't blame me. I just, I just live here. I'm just typing stuff in.
0: All right. Thanks what a lot like, you for don't... joining me. I'm, uh, I, I will have you back in a few months, and uh... – I'll catch up with you on Twitter in the meantime. Thanks a lot, Dan.
1: Okay. Oh, and, and I'm D Zimborski on Twitter. But if uh, you oh yeah, your 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 handle will probably. be
0: prominently displayed in the post tomorrow. You are. I will tell everyone you are well worth a follow.
1: Okay. Well, well, if if, if my if my Twitter name is not there, you will have made a very powerless enemy.
0: <laughs> That's my favorite kind. You all have a good night thank you okay again that was dan zimborski a writer for espn and the creator of the zips projection system which uh i don't know where it's at tonight but i would guess the indians are at something like 85 88 percent and uh i'm a glass is half empty nervous pessimistic fan so i find a hard time believing it but the numbers can't lie it's a cold heartless computer it was in his house when he moved there anyway the indians did hold on and win so they've now won seven in a row which hasn't done a bit of good in catching tampa bay but it has kept them in front of texas uh, baltimore new york kansas city all of whom were still in it a few days ago they're out three games left uh Tampa Bay is in Toronto this weekend. The Cleveland Indians – I don't know why I just referred to them as the Cleveland Indians. You know where they play. They're in Minnesota, as you know, and Texas is at home against the Angels. If the Indians win three, they're in no matter what. Uh, if they win two, they might be looking at a play-in game. If they win one, we're hoping the Angels Oh, my God, I just got a 90-second warning from the nice British lady. I guess that means I should go, but we will talk next week. I'm hoping we'll be talking on Tuesday – in preparation for the Indians' appearance in the American League wildcard game. Have a good one.